Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of... Good morning, everyone. How wonderful to see you here in Syracuse. The sun is shining brightly on new fallen snow and everything is glittering. We'll be holding March on session this coming weekend and commemorating Nakagawa Soen Roshi, who passed away March 11th, 1984, and March 11th is also the 10th anniversary of the earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear disaster in Japan, Fukushima. So this Thursday, March 11th, let us all take some time to offer incense for those who lost their lives. 20,000 or so humans and untold numbers of sentient beings. And there's a film made of that disaster that Tricycle Magazine is making available online. And I believe that uh, Myogen can give us some details in the chat for that. It's being offered, uh, I think, until April 2nd. So this morning, I'm happy to introduce Kushu Damir Jamsek who will do the Dharma talk. He's been a student of mine for more than 30 years and leads a Zen group at his Aikido Shinkage Dojo in Austin, Texas. And I ordained him along with Jishin last year. So Kush, please take over. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be in this uh, international Zen Zoom meeting. So many of us know each other through the years of practice. Um, and many of you I've come to know over this last year through the Zoom meetings. Uh, I've learned your faces, the discussion groups, uh, and, and many of you, probably we have more time coming to get to know each other. But I thank all of you for this practice. Uh, especially right now, I'd like to thank uh, Shinge Roshi for this opportunity uh, to speak. 
um, in preparation, this was a chance for introspection, uh, self-reflection. Uh, another way to say introspection, self-reflection is uh, nerve-wracking preparation. <laughs> um, yeah, so if I had to add a title to this talk, it would be, how did I get here today? So it'll be some reflections and some, uh, I hope, maybe interesting uh, activities that have taken, uh, that I've taken part in the past. And uh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I will be very mindful of the clock that's next to me here in front of me. And, uh, I'm just lighting an incense. Um, as I was preparing, I was thinking about the uh, threads of activities that have been part of my life to this point. Um, uh, and I came up with four separate threads, all interwoven, four separate threads that are inseparable. And so I'll spend a little bit of time just describing those and then uh, see where I go from there uh, in terms of what was, what was impactful to me, what was, um, what was inspirational and how I got here. Uh, the first thread I wanna pull on is Zen Center of Syracuse and my gratitude to Shinge Roshi. This has been a continuous, uh, albeit uh, up and down, but I'll explain that as I talk for a few minutes. Um, but it's been continuous since the first day that I met Shinge Roshi. I was a graduate student at Syracuse University in the engineering department. And for various influences that I'll say something about. I, I, I wanted, to, you know, I heard about the uh, Zen Center of Syracuse. And my first encounter with Shinge Roshi was at Hendricks Chapel on the campus of Syracuse University. Uh, Roshi was giving uh, some talk and introduction to Zen. I attended it. Uh, and every time I hear about the uh, activity at Hendricks Chapel and the continuous current activity with students on the university campus, uh, Joraku Sensei's activities and teachings there, it takes me back immediately to 25 year old me wondering what is she talking about? Uh, but at the end of the presentation, I introduced myself to Roshi and she said, sure, come sit. So, you know, that's, that's the first thread and I'll say some more about it. Uh, the second thread is, you know, as I said, I was a graduate student in computer engineering, um, always been, uh, have an affinity for math and you know, became an engineer, and that's been my career, my job. Uh, and I'll also say not much about it, but a little bit about it later. Um, 
The third thread is the one that's occupied much of my time and energy over the last period, many decades, um, is martial arts. Um, I started and in uh, martial arts, or I'll say Budo sometimes, uh, martial way, the Japanese word for it, um, just because it comes out naturally. I, I don't use the word English martial arts that often. Um, but I started that when I was 17 years old and have continued it for 40 years. So now you can do the math. Uh, but the last 20 years, I've been teaching it and running a dojo that includes a zendo and a sangha. And that's been very central. Uh, the fourth thread is uh, the fourth thread is my uh, long-standing relationship and marriage. Uh, uh, last year was 35 years. And tremendous uh, support and guidance from Mary. So each of these four threads by themselves have been going on for 30 plus years, all intertwined, interwoven, affecting each other. As I think your lives do, you have many components, family, work, practice, and they all affect each other. And we have to find a way to balance them, especially up until uh, the ordination last year, my 30 years was as a lay practitioner, as most of you are. And you find a way to make all of this work. So if I dive in a little bit to the first thread, Zen Center of Syracuse, um, this was, you know, I mentioned something about it in my little uh, couple words during my ordination about the first encounter. Uh, you know, I won't repeat it, but I finally made my way to the Zendo and it was a couple years, a year or so, a little more than a year before Maureen Stewart wrote, she passed away. But I was not aware enough or smart enough to take advantage of that. And I never had a chance to meet her. Um, at sessions at Zen Center of Syracuse, which took place on the third floor of Roshi's house. Uh, this was before the current Zen Center of Syracuse. You know, the tapes were played and, and at the memorial uh, last week and, and the presentation, you, you all heard about, about this. So I won't go into it, but I spent about three years in graduate school there before I graduated and sitting at uh, Zen Center of Syracuse, receiving Roshi's teaching. I was coming up on graduation and there was an opportunity for a job that would take me out of Syracuse. So I asked Roshi for Jukai before I left and we discussed it and, and she agreed. And that was 
when I received the name Kushu, which means empty hand. And I promptly went to my first professional job and I moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, this was in the early 90s, and having just left Syracuse, I attended Sessions, I would go to DBZ. This was my first exposure to Edo Roshi and Doksan and such. Uh, went to several, you know, uh, Rohatsu Sessions and, and so forth. Um, one interaction with Edo Roshi when he first saw me in the first Doksan, he just looked at me and he said, do you do Budo martial arts? I, said, <laughs> I was like, what? I said, uh, yeah. He said, what do you do? I said, uh, Aikido. He said, oh, okay, okay, okay. So in Aikido, how do you start? And I said, breathing. Oh, okay, same as then. And, but how? I said, well, you build up power in your belly, in your hara. Then when you make contact with a partner, you extend power from your center. Uh, he's, he's just, he's nodding his head, of course, of course, of course. And then after contact, what? I said, well, then extend and your power, you know, throwing. He goes, where's, a, where's your power go? I say, everywhere. He said, yes, of course, nowhere. <laughs> so as we breathe, as we build power, as we extend into nowhere, Anyway, this is something I still reflect on and still, still think about. During a couple of years in Austin, then my job changed. I moved back to central New York. I moved to Ithaca and I took a job there with a small company. I don't have much to say about that, except uh, this was one of the low contact points for me with Roshi. Uh, I kind of think of it as a, I went into a cave for a few years. I focused on my, uh, my work career. I took advantage uh, because of the uh, Zen practice, the Aikido practice. I focused on, uh, I took courses in Japanese so I can speak Japanese, you know, enough to get by. Uh, and I began uh, an additional martial art training called Shinkage because I encountered a person at Cornell that was a student of the then Yagyu Sensei. So these were all the activities during my Ithaca cave years. That job changed and I moved to Austin, Texas, moved back to Austin, Texas because of a job opportunity. And when I moved there, there was no practice. I, I, I went around to some of the groups. There was a Rinzai group from Sasaki Roshi. I sat with them regularly. There was a, a fellow who was starting a Soto group associated with San Francisco Zen Center. Um, I sat with them. At some point, I started an Aikido dojo and I decided to you know, begin a Zazen Kai sitting group inside the dojo. And this developed a small Sangha um, with Roshi's support. And at that time, uh, in the early 2000s, she would travel to Austin once a year and have weekend sessions with us and, and uh, instruct us. And, and she got to know Austin a bit. Um, and it was also in these 2000s where there were uh, a few trips to Japan 
that uh, Shinge Roshi and Kaz Tanahashi uh, led. And so I went um, as one of the people who could speak Japanese. It was, it was uh, quite fun herding, shepherding 15 or so non-Japanese speakers around Japan for a while, trying to get from here to there. And it was, it was quite a, a experience because of the ability to visit temples and locations and have access that normal visitors would not have. We had tea with Kato Roshi at Tofukuji. We had tea with the abbot of Engakuji. We went to a ceremony led by the Kancho of Myoshinji. Uh, Jika Sensei and I reminisce about this. Uh, we were on the trips together. Um, one thing that happened on one of the trips, I'll just give you a little story and it has to do with the scroll behind me. Um, next to Myoshinji, there's a little alleyway that has a lot of shops. Um, shops you can buy robes at. Uh, one shop by uh, Mr. Yamada was a, a scroll. Uh, he was a scroll. Uh, um, he sold artworks. He traded in, in, uh, in uh, Zen scroll works. So we went there, we had an appointment. We went there, a couple of us, several of us, and we sat down and uh, he would bring three scrolls out at a time and just put them on in front of us. And we had a cup of tea and he would describe them to us. And it was amazing, like Hakuin Zenji scrolls and uh, lots of, lots of famous masters. And then, so three scrolls would come out and three scrolls would come out. And Mr. Yamada was quite kind. and. But I got the sense that, you know, he had the feeling like, oh, these wandering Zen students, they're not going to make a dime. You know, they're not going to buy anything. I'm not going to make a buck on this. But he was very kind, kept bringing out scrolls. Then he brings out three scrolls. And in the center scroll is the one behind me. And the moment he put them up and we stopped for a second and Shinge Roshi said, that's Soin Roshi's scroll, isn't it? And Mr. Yamada said, yes. And without skipping a beat, she leaned over to me and said, buy it. <laughs> I was like, what? She said, buy it. So out comes the credit card and here's the scroll. And so I've had it now for going on 20 years. It comes out once a year for airing and hanging. And I'm hoping that, uh, oh, it's kind of crooked. I think that's my thing that's crooked here. Yeah, okay. Don't want it to be crooked. Um, I, I, I have not brought it to Hoenji to date, but maybe at some point we can hang it in Hoenji uh, and so on. So the Japanese trips went on and, uh, you know, as you know, at some point Shinge Roshi became quite busy taking over the full responsibility for Zen Studies Society. This, uh, curtailed her activities in Austin, uh, just too busy. Uh, so I, I carried on in Austin. Um, and this was kind of my second cave period where I just kind of went quiet for a while and stayed in Austin. I better hurry up, I see the time. Um, 
anyway, during this time, you know, I, I would do readings. I would lead, lead the uh, Aikido practice in Austin and, uh, and just try to keep up the energy of practice for myself and for the members of the Sangha. And this is what we do for each other as we practice together like this, is we keep up, uh, you know, there's personal effort, but there's also uh, the effort of the group and the community. And this has been my driving, even though I'm teaching this martial art, the primary activity is the group. Um, and then in addition studies, in preparation for this talk, I, 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 one thing that I read a lot, and I think Jika in her talk mentioned Ecclesiastes also, and I read Ecclesiastes. I'm reading a, or I have been reading for many years, a version that's a translation by a, a rabbi, a Rabbi Shapiro. And, uh, you know, the usual translation of the first line is something like vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But in uh, this translation, I'll just read it. Emptiness. Emptiness upon emptiness. The world is fleeting of form. Empty of permanence. Void of surety. Without certainty. Like a breath breathed once and gone all things rise and fall. Understand emptiness and tranquility replaces anxiety. Understand emptiness and compassion replaces jealousy. Understand emptiness and you will cease to excuse suffering and begin to alleviate it. So, it's a quite interesting. This uh, grown-up Roman Catholic boy, newly minted Buddhist priest is reading you a rabbi's translation of the Old Testament. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, but it's quite correct, isn't it? Um, like I said, I was kind of in retreat at that point minimal interaction with Roshi, but then one day the phone rings. Kushu, aren't you coming to Harvest Wind session? Uh, Noritake Roshi is going to be there, and I would like you to do translation for him. What? I cannot. My Japanese isn't good enough. She said, no, no, you'll be fine, right? You've all heard that one, right? No, no, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So she gave me Noritake Roshi's phone number, told me to call him at Yoshinji. I'm like, what? I can't call a Roshi. But I called him. He speaks a little English because he has American students and travels to the US or you know, did for some number of years or maybe still does. Um, but he picks up the phone. Hello, Noritake. I said, oh, Roshi, this is Kushu from the US. Ah, OK, yes, I was waiting for your phone call. Blah, 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 we're talking, talking. He goes, no, no, no problem. You'll be okay. I'll send you uh, some preparatory material. You can study it. This was about three months ahead of session. So he sent me this 20 pages of dense Japanese text. He goes, just understand this. You'll be fine. 
<laughs> what? So for three months, you know, little by little, translation, line by line, yielded some 80 pages of stuff. Anyway, then we had Sashin and it was wonderful. Um, I had a really good experience there assisting Noritake Roshi in both uh, translating the Teisho as he was giving it. Uh, Mr. Professor Nakatsugawa from Syracuse uh, came up to assist me and help polish with some translations. And so it was quite a collaboration and very inspiring. Uh, the other piece that was very inspiring was when Roshi had some one-on-one -on -one meetings with students. He spoke some English, but not enough. Um, he invited me to sit there on the side, and if there was some lack of communication or translation required, I could uh, help. And in one of his taste shows, he spoke about, you know, being a mirror. And we talk about this and you've heard it in talks and things like that, but the mirror that perfectly reflects what's in front of it. And the one thing that I really got affected by is how he related to every single person that came in to see him. He became them. If they were anxious, he didn't become anxious, but he understood it and accepted it. If they were joyous because they just had an experience, uh, some personal experience, then he was joyous. This I saw not just in his talk about a mirror, but in his activity, where he could just, in a moment, recognize the other person's state of being. The final lesson that I got from him before session ended, it was actually on the very last day, and it's something that I am not really good at myself, and I have to keep working at, is leave no trace. So session ended and I went to his room to help him carry his bags to the car, and he was uh, down to his work clothes on his knees scrubbing the floor. This is a 78 or I don't know how, I can't remember how old. And he's scrubbing the floor and I quickly, you know, grabbed the rag from him and said, I'll do it. And he grabbed it back. He says, no, I have to do it. When I leave, there must be no trace. And I was like, wow. You know, it just dropped, it just stopped me in my tracks. And these are the kinds of things I could, I could think of some other things during the course of this talk, we're running out of time here, where I could have had similar kind of inspirational moments that just stopped me. And, and you, you all have them also. And so don't lose them, don't lose them. Um, when you have something like this, don't lose them. Then, so finally to wrap up, you know, that session started a reconnection between, you know, not a reconnection, there was never a loss of connection, but a deeper connection that resulted in 
a trip that I made to Syracuse September 2019, and Roshi and I talked about ordination. We actually started talking about it decades ago, but you know, time in the in, in the readiness of time, as we all have heard. And we were a group, you know, Roshi said yes in 2020 at Rohatsu DBZ, we will do the ordination. And then COVID hit. Boom. Okay, now what? Well, everything that's happened over the last year is now what? And here we are today. And I am very appreciative of the Sangha, Roshi, everyone else, uh, my ordination name, Enshin, and from Hoen for connection, interconnection, and Shin from Shinge Roshi, heart, heart connection is the one thing that I feel from the very first day, Roshi, is the heart connection. And I'm sure it's true for all of you. There is no limit on heart connection. It's not limited to, oh, you got the heart. No, it's, it's infinite, it's infinite. And so all these different threads interwoven that I've described to you, I'm gonna finish right now. Um, I wanted to have something to read at the end and with all these different threads interweaved and, and you know, you pay attention to them as much as you can. You try to find a middle way. Uh, I just want to finish with uh, the end of the, uh, I always cry at it, so I'm not gonna cry here. Um, the end of the Diamond Sutra. All these things I talked to you about. All composite things are like a dream, a fantasy, a bubble, and a shadow. Are like a dewdrop and a flash of lightning. They are thus to be regarded. And so you should think in this way of all this fleeting world as a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a dewdrop, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.